0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today's episode is a quick compliance update about HSA, healthcare reform, paid sick leave, EEO reporting, and workforce trends. Oh, and don't forget, we post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and I would love to hear from you on there with any questions. You can also subscribe to us by going to peopleprocesses.com, where you will receive special subscriber-only content for free. People Processes is also available wherever you get your podcast, and it syndicates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio. So let's dive right in. We're gonna do a quick compliance update going over just a bunch of changes that have happened in the last week. HSAs are the first thing. The limit on deductible health savings uh, contributions for 2018 has actually gone back up to 6,900 for individuals with family coverage under an HDHP. In March, this amount was reduced by 50 bucks to 6,850 just two months ago, due to a change in the inflation adjustment calculations enacted under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. However, after receiving complaints that the reduction would impose administrative and financial burdens on stakeholders, the IRS determined that it is in the best interest of sound and efficient tax administration to revert back to the original amount of $6,900. You've been listening to us. Back to March. We informed you of all these changes. My bad. Gotta change it back. Sorry. According to the latest guidance, an individual who receives a distribution from an HSA of an excess contribution with earnings based on the 6,850 deduction limit may repay the distribution to the HSA and treat the distribution as the result of a mistake of fact due to reasonable causes. Alternatively, an individual who who does not repay the distribution to the HSA may treat it as an excess contribution return before the due date of the return, if you would like. So either way, you can keep it. Don't have to worry about it, or you can put it back in there. Don't have to worry about it. Okay, um, what can you do? All right. Next up, another update: healthcare reform. This is a big one for very few people, but if you are in a in a in a in a district in a state for um uh for the ACA for your your exchange, uh, there's what's called shop, and there's what's called the individual marketplace. Shop is like the small business version of the individual marketplace. Hasn't done great, but if there are no SHOP plans available, and those are relatively small places, the IRS is providing relief that helps employers that first claim the Small Business Healthcare Tax Credit Act for all or part of 2016 or a later year for coverage offered through the Small Business Health Options Program, also known as SHOP Marketplace, but don't have any SHOP plans to offer employees for all or part of the remainder of the credit period because the counties where the employees are located have no SHOP Marketplace plans. The relief allows these employers to claim the credit for health insurance coverage provided outside of a shop marketplace for the remainder of the credit period if that coverage would have qualified under the rules applied before January 1, 2014. So this is a small, small, tiny fraction of you out there. If you had a shop plan and were claiming credit and then there were no more shop plans offered, you can continue to claim the credit for the remainder of your time, which is normally two years. Next update, mental health benefits. The U.S. Department of Labor, Health and Human Services and the Treasury have issued proposed frequently asked questions regarding non-quantitative treatment limitations, NQTLs, and disclosure requirements in connection with the Paul Wellstone and Pete Domenici Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act of 2008, sometimes abbreviated as MHPAEA, but most people call it the Mental Health Parity Act, okay? The guidance was developed pursuant to Section uh, 13,001B of the 21st Century Cures Act, which, again, you can find on our website. Also released was a revised draft model that participants, enrollees, and other, or their authorized representatives could, but would not be required to, use to request information from their health plan or issuer regarding uh, NQTLs those uh, uh, non-quantitative treatment limitations that maybe affect their mental health, substance use disorder benefits, or to obtain documentation after an adverse benefit determination to support an appeal. The revision incorporates feedback received on the original draft form, which was issued last June. Additionally, a self-compliance tool was released that can help group plans, plan sponsors, plan administrators, group and individual market health insurance issuers, state regulators, and other parties determine whether a group health plan or health insurance issuer complies with the Mental Health Parity Act or and related requirements applicable to the ERISA group health plans. So to kind of simplify this, if you don't know what any of that means, it's okay, you're probably not part of these groups. But mental health parity required in general that you treat mental health treatments the same as you would non-mental health uh, physician work, okay? So going to see a psychologist is basically the same as going to see a primary care physician. If you're gonna treat them differently, uh, you have to have justification. In particular, though, this this addresses quantity limits, non-quantitative treatment limitations. So uh, maybe you say, hey, you've been seeing that shrink for two years and it's not working, stop. It's not quantitative. Uh, It's a treatment limitation though. You have to have some really good numbers for that Especially because you have to treat it just like you would a physical illness. So anyway, there's been some revisions to that There's some new forms and a new tool to help people figure those out Next up paid sick leave More trend in this direction, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has signed expansive legislation that will allow employees to accrue one hour of earned sick leave for every 30 hours worked up to 40 hours each year. The law, which takes effect on October 29, 2018, allows paid sick leave to be used for the following reasons. The diagnosis, treatment, or recovery from a mental or physical injury or illness or preventative care for the employee or for a family member. It can be used for obtaining the services if the employee or a family member is a victim of a domestic or sexual violence, circumstances arising from a public health emergency, and a school-related meeting or event with regard to the employee's child. New Jersey uh, is now on the list of those that mandate a paid sick leave policy. So if you have any New Jersey employees, just know you got to be offering at least one hour of earned sick leave for every 30 hours worked, up to 40 hours each year, Okay. If you're a New Jersey employee and have more questions about that, just give us a call, drop us an email, we'd be happy to help. Next update, employment costs. These are more just broad updates. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released the Employment Cost Index for the first quarter of 2018. Compensation costs for civilian workers increased 0.8% seasonally adjusted from January to March. Wages and salaries would make up which make up about 70% of compensation costs rose 0.9%, whereas benefits while compromising the remaining 30% of compensation costs increased 0.7% in one quarter. That's a good bit. Next up, EEO reporting. The deadline for filing the 2017 EEO-1 report has been extended to June 1, according to a notice posted on the EEOC's website. The original deadline was March 31, 2018. If you were listening back then, we reminded you to do so. All employers in the private sector with 100 and more employees, or federal contractors and subcontractors with 50 or more employees, and a federal contractor or subcontract amounting to more than $50,000, must file the EEO-1 report annually with the Joint Reporting Committee. Covered employers are required to provide workplace profiles by race, ethnicity, sex, and job category. The preferred method for completing the EEO-1 is the web-based online filing system, which is a lot easier than the form, in my opinion. So uh, you now have until, what do we say, June 1. Okay, so you got, another, you got a whole other month. Uh, it's May 5th, so get out there, get it done. Most companies, last bit of uh, kind of uh, good-for-you knowledge, it's a workforce trend. 94% most companies have innovation on their core agenda this year, and 96% are planning organizational design changes, according to a global talent survey from Mercer. At the same time, employees are seeking control of their personal and professional lives, with more than half asking for flexible work options. There's a nice benefit if you can get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Just some good updates, keep you in the loop. We always do one of these normally every week. Uh, We break up between deep dives, people processes where we really dive deep into a process, Um, compliance updates like this, our Q and A's, and our interviews with uh, business leaders and HR uh, leaders where we ask them some good questions about their journey. I hope this has been helpful to you. My name is Rami Alijil and thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.